So if you don't know me, my name is Malik. I'm one of the pastors here, currently serving as the pastor in residence here at Greenhouse, South Florida. And I'm excited to jump back into the book of Job. Is everybody excited to jump back into the book of Job today? Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, do me a favor. Hop to your feet. Hop to your feet. We're going to continue in the book of Job. Thank you, John, for actually hopping. Um, if you're joining us online, please stand as well. If you're driving and listening to this via podcast, do not stand. Instead, just listen, because we don't have insurance to cover your accidents. All right, and so listen, we are in the book of Job, chapter 28. Job 28, verse 28. If you're scrolling through it, you can find it, or you can join us by looking at it on the Great Big Sky Bible, Job 28, 28, and it says, He said to mankind, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. All right, now flip one more book past that. So Job, skip Psalms, go to Proverbs. And we'll be looking at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And I'll read it for you. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Today, I hope that we can answer the question, how do I become wise? I don't think anybody here wants to be an unwise person. So we'll answer this question, how do I become wise? I'll pray and then you guys can have your seats. Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you because we don't come to church to hear from a preacher. We come to church to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, in light of that, you speak. Holy Spirit, in light of that, you share, you give, you pour out of your spirit upon everyone who is here today. God, as the communicator, let the words of my mouth and the meditation in my heart be acceptable in your sight and help me to decrease so that you might increase. In the magnificent name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Y'all can have your seats. Wave at somebody as you sit down. Wave at somebody. <laughs> right? And so as we continue our little bit of a survey through the book of Job, we wonder how we got to chapter 8. We kind of far last time, chapter 28, we were like, we jumped a couple chapters. It's fine. We will catch you guys up. Right, but we're doing a little bit of a survey, and I think we need to answer this question based on this text because it might be one of the most pertinent questions we have to ask today. How do I become wise? Wisdom is something we all want, right? Nobody in here wakes up and is like, oh God, I really hope when I leave my house today somebody says, man, you're a really unwise person. Like nobody wakes up and is like, oh, I just want to be unwise today. And if you do, like, you, yeah, you something else, right? But for the most of us, that isn't what we engage in on our day-to-day -day lives. We want to be wise. But the question is, how do I do that? How do I become wise? Because we all want wisdom, right? We seek financial wisdom. We seek educational wisdom. We seek healthcare wisdom. We all seek wisdom every single day, from a self-help book to a TED Talk to a TikTok. We are all seeking wisdom. But their issue is not all the wisdom you get is good wisdom. Can we agree anybody here ever got bad advice from somebody? A lot of y'all like raise your hands. Y'all are spectacular human beings. I have gotten bad advice over the course of my life. However, before we get to where we are in Job 28, I thought I was going to recap. I'm going to recap real quickly for you. If you've never heard of the book of Job, don't know who Job is. Job, the Bible says, was a righteous man. He was a good man, an upstanding man. And I'll read from you a little bit of a synopsis of Job's biography that the Bible tells us about Job. It says in Job 1, there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. 
He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. We are going to be talking about someone who the Bible just said was the greatest man among all the people of the East. But Job is about to run into a lot of problems. And I will summarize those problems. So Job is at home one day and he's chilling. And somebody walks up to him and they go, hey, Job, um, some raiders came and they killed all your servants and they took the oxen and they took them and we don't have them anymore. And then somebody else came up and they was like, wait, in the middle of that conversation while Job is arguing with this person, the other person comes up and says, Job, someone has come and they've stolen all the sheep and killed all the sheep herders. And while they're discussing and deliberating, another person comes up and says, Job, someone came and killed all the camel riders and took all the camels. That is three back-to-back things. What has just happened? Job has lost his entire livelihood. So he is broke. And he has nothing left to show for it. And while Job is deliberating and talking to these people, uh, listen, that's not even enough, right? I would feel like if that was me, I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm done today. I'm done for the week. I'm done for the year. But a fourth person comes up to Job and they say, Job, your children were having a party at your eldest son's house. And while they were having a party, a tornado swept through, knocked over the house and killed all of them. Job just lost everything. And if you think I kind of summarized it kind of quickly, you know, look in your Bible, it happens just that fast. Job goes one after the other, bang, bang, bang. And you're like, oh my gosh. And the Bible says that Job is distraught. He rends his garments, he rips his clothes. He is so frustrated and sorrowful. And then his friends get to talking. And some of Job's friends get to talking and they're offering what maybe they think is the best advice they have. And some of his other friends come and they're like, Job, what did you do to God? Job, you must have got on God's last nerve for him to kill everybody. And they're like going back and forth. And Job is like, I ain't even done nothing. And Job is going back and forth with these friends and he's arguing. And he's defending himself to his friends after he has lost everything. And then he gets a little upset with God. I think rightfully so. He's lost everything. It makes sense that he's having some sort of response to this. And so he's angry with God. He is confused about what God is doing in his life. And then he somehow gets to what I think will be the linchpin and the hinge point for the coming back story of Job. He settles on this simple fact. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. Now, if you're like me, The word fear isn't a word that you look at and are fond of very often. But the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the foundation, is the beginning place of wisdom. I will read to you from Job 28 how Job begins to kind of sort of quantify what the wisdom of God is worth. He says, but do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? No one knows to find it, for it is not found among the living. It is not here, says the ocean, nor is it here, says the sea. It cannot be bought with gold. It cannot be purchased with silver. It's worth more than all the gold of Ophir, greater than the precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Wisdom is more valuable than gold. And it continues, and it says, and crystal. It cannot be purchased with jewels mounted in fine gold. Job says, we don't even know where to find wisdom. 
right? And Job gets to this place where he's trying to figure out, how do I navigate what is going on in my life? And he settles on the simple fact that the fear of the Lord is wisdom. In the midst of his calamity, Job settles on something that I think if we settle on it, if we grasp it, it will change the trajectory of our lives, not just because I said so, but because God said so, right? And so now, if you're like me, the word fear, like I said, it doesn't really strike a good chord with you if you're not a fan of like horror movies or you weren't one of the interesting people who volunteered to go to Halloween Horror Nights. And like, that's just not your vibe. Fear isn't a word that you try to associate with God much. Right, you're like, oh no, there's no fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Right, but nah, we have to answer this question biblically. What is fear? Right, and so when we're talking about fear, we're not talking about being afraid. We're not talking about being scared of God. Instead, the fear of the Lord is reverence. It is respect. It is awe. It is thinking that God is so big, so strong, and so mighty that when I look at him, I recognize that woe is me. Like, I, I am nothing compared to this God. It's not hiding from God. Instead, it is having an appropriate view of who he is. The fear of the Lord is respecting God and his opinion so much that it influences the way that you live. You see, because we all fear and respect someone's opinion, right? Over the past two years, we respected someone's opinion and stayed in our houses. We respect the opinion of our spouses and ask them what to wear. We respect the opinion of waiters. When I go to a restaurant, I go, hey, what would you get from this menu? And because we respect someone's opinion. And so when it comes to God, the fear of the Lord is holding his opinion in such high regard that no one else's opinion matters. I realize I said it doesn't matter. So you can still weigh it, but it don't matter because God's opinion is the one that we fear the most. So it removes people pleasing because we fear God. It removes lying to try to impress people because we fear God. It removes having things our own way and doing what we want to do because we fear God. But with that in mind, there are some things that the fear of the Lord is not. If you grew up like me, you might have grown up in a context where you were terrified of God, right? Like, you, you, like if you sinned, you swore you were going to get into a car accident on the way home, he was going to take you out. Because there is something in your mind that says the fear of the Lord are these things, but it's not. The fear of the Lord is not terror or dread. It is not anxiety or angst. It is not being scared of God. The fear of the Lord isn't sitting there wait, thinking that God is waiting in heaven to slap you upside the head for the next mistake that you make. He got way too much to do to be doing that, right? But it's not, that's not what the fear of the Lord is. It's not being scared of God, it's respecting God. And I feel like some of us, we might teeter to one side of the line where the second we do something wrong, we're like, I don't even want to leave my house today. I remember my mom telling a story growing up in church, and the church had ceilings fans in the ceiling. And she said she had went out with some friends, what club hopping the night before, and she went to church and was sitting there under the ceiling fan, and everything in her was like, God going to drop this fan on your head. Right? Like, that is an interesting and unbiblical way to view God. Because it reminds us in Scripture that nothing can separate us from his love. And so we respect him and we honor him. But let's not get it twisted. 
The fear of the Lord is also understanding that God hates sin. Right? Like sin is not a word we might use very often in our particular religious context. For some of us, it is a three-letter curse word. Cool, I'm going to use it anyway. The fear of the Lord is the realizing that God hates sin. And because I fear God and God hates sin, I flee sin. Because I respect what he has to say. And even when I want to do something, knowing what God thinks about it constrains me from doing it. Not because I'm afraid that he's going to get me back for it, but because I love and respect him too much to disobey him. The fear of the Lord is reverence, it is respect, it is awe, but it is also understanding that God is holy and he is righteous. And the Bible says nothing that is unholy can even stand in his presence. It's why the Bible says you can't even look in his face and live because he is so awe-inspiring. And if you have a bit of a mental objection, because like a lot of people today, in your mindset, in our mindset, fear and God don't belong in the same, in the same sentence. Because there is another four-letter word that has replaced all of his attributes, and that four-letter word is love. And how would you fear a loving God? And how can a loving God desire that you fear him to find a wisdom? Because as much as you love God, God is still God. And the Bible says it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. He deserves respect. His very being commands respect. How so? The Bible starts off and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and he spoke. And it said, let there be light. And there was light. And he spoke. And the earth popped into existence. And he spoke. And the universe showed up out of nowhere. And he spoke. And the Milky Way galaxy decided to show up to the party. And he spoke. And he spoke. And he spoke. And everything that is something showed up because he started talking. When you realize that that is the God that you serve, it puts a level of respect in you. So when you talk to him, you don't talk to him like he's one of your little friends. And when you talk about him, we would talk about him with respect because he deserves it. Better yet, he demands it because he is God. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we reverently and obediently and respectfully live our lives in such a way. But if it is the beginning of wisdom, we also have to ask this question. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Because like I said earlier, we all desire wisdom. We all want it from somewhere. But we have to figure out what is it. I think we categorize wisdom in these two ways. There is situational wisdom. The wisdom to make decisions and to make choices. And the wisdom in the middle of a situation. I think we all have no problem coming to God for this, for this wisdom. It's the wisdom that we shake God like a magic eight ball and say, God, I have a new job offer. Yes, oh, I got the new job. Job, I have a new job offer. Maybe, oh, I don't know. And we treat God like a magic eight ball because we all want situational wisdom. Even non-believers come to Jesus when they want an answer to a question. And so we all have no issue with situational wisdom, but that is an aspect of wisdom. But there is a secondary aspect of abiding wisdom. It is a wisdom that not just that doesn't just an action, but becomes a character trait. We use it all the time. We say that person is wise, not that they make wise decisions, but they are wise. 
That's the wisdom I want us to all strive for as we answer the question, how do I become wise? It's a wisdom that isn't just situational, but instead of having a magic eight ball, we have a friend who we can talk to about every little situation and trust that he will answer and that he will incline his ear to us. I invite us all to embrace holistic wisdom, a wisdom that doesn't end on Sunday, a wisdom that doesn't start again Sunday morning at pre-service prayer, a wisdom that you don't got to wait till Tuesday to get an answer from God, but a wisdom that abides with you. And how do you do that? Well, the Bible reminds us of something. The Bible says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is wisdom. It calls him the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So wisdom is not an ethereal what, it is a heavenly who. It is the God of the universe coming to walk with you, to talk with you, to counsel you. The amount of money that people will pay a life coach for, I guarantee you there is one in heaven named the Holy Spirit and he is free. Free 99, you don't gotta pay nothing. Why? Because he is willing to answer your questions and he is willing to walk with you. I invite you to embrace abiding wisdom by embracing the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because when we invite him in, like John was saying earlier, when we invite him in, he does show up. So instead of just inviting him into the troubling situations, invite him into the mundane day-to-day -day realities of your life. Walk with him like he wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Walk with him in everyday circumstances. And you will find wisdom so easy to come by because he was already there when your day started. If that makes any sense at all. So there's the Holy Spirit and he is wisdom. But unfortunately, we live in a world where everybody else has their own kind of wisdom where every talking head, every TV preacher, every, every person who pontificates on the news, every person on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, everybody has an opinion. If you're on social media long enough, you might scroll until you get to a place where you have watched five different reels and they have all been five different opinions about the same question. And you're wondering, how do you navigate this? Well, when we walk with the Holy Spirit, he helps us because there is something we have to be able to grapple with, and it is simply, we must learn to navigate the tension between worldly wisdom and the wisdom of God. Because the world is selling you something, and the enemy and your flesh is selling you something. And we have to have the wherewithal enough to go, wait, how does this have anything to do with what God has said, with what God stands for, and how God feels? If you're wondering what I mean by that, I will quote to you a few things I saw on social media when I was scrolling through this week. It says, if that friendship isn't serving you, you gotta ditch it, right? Like if this friendship doesn't contribute anything to your life, if this person doesn't help you out in any ways, get rid of them. But the wisdom of God says, love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we navigate those? One of those gotta go in the garbage and I won't tell you which one it is, but I did say, and the wisdom of God says, so I think if you can put two and four together, you might be able to come to a conclusion about what it is. But it doesn't say this. It says, it continues and people on the internet say, don't help people because most of the enemies in your life are people you once helped. But Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan. 
And he honors this good Samaritan for going out of his way to help someone else. I'm, like, I'm not making these up. I don't want to put the at handles on here, but they're in my notes if you want them. These are like real people with like a couple million followers, right? And so it continues and it says, you have to hustle to get rich. Get rich or die trying. Getting money is the ultimate gain of your life. But the Bible reminds us that it is foolish to pursue wealth and financial gain above all else. So we have to navigate what the world is saying versus what God is saying. Or you have to say things like, well, that's your truth. And what's true to me is, there is a person who is truth. And so truth is not, it is objective in some very interesting circumstances. But for the most part, God has said things and they are true. But the world will tell you that what's true to you don't gotta be true for everybody else. And that's true for some people. Right? Some people think that what's true to them is like the iPhone is a better phone, but we all know that that's just not true. John, I have the microphone. <laughs> oh, amen, I felt that right there. It's okay, and if you're wondering why I'm up here, John is in mourning because the Gators lost this weekend. And so he is in sackcloth and ashes in this moment. Please stretch it. We'll take a moment of silence and we're done. All right, and so that's what's going on there. Right, but there is a lot of arguments about what's wrong and what's right. Or you heard, maybe heard this one, that we don't forgive because forgiveness is too vulnerable. The internet is literally telling people not to forgive nobody. Don't forgive people who don't deserve it, who don't deserve your forgiveness. <laughs> I wish we said that to Jesus, but that's what the internet is conveying to us. And can I be real with y'all for a moment? They got me too. <laughs> I embraced that philosophy. I was hurt by a leader in times past, and it uh, was like, then I was like, no, you don't got to forgive him. You were in the right, they were in the wrong. Keep it pushing. You don't have to forgive. Reconciliation isn't necessary. Repairing relationships is futile. And I believed it, and I held it. And I held it and I held it until it began to corrupt me from the inside out. Until unforgiveness started to breed bitterness and it started to breed contempt and it started to breed, can I be real, wickedness and ungodliness. But that's what the world is telling us because worldly wisdom will corrupt you from the inside out. It is what, what Satan said in the garden. Did God really say, if you ate from this fruit, you would surely die. Did, did, did he really say that you would die from that? And we challenge it and we challenge God on every moment when we think his wisdom and the way he has decided to tell people to live life is a waste of time and it isn't worth our energy. Instead, I implore you to embrace the wisdom that comes from above. I implore you to embrace the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I mentioned some things, those things today we call influencers, social media and all those things. But there are influences in our lives that if we aren't careful, begin to supersede the voice of God. Who are you listening to? Who are you getting your advice and your wisdom from? Is it friends who don't really know God? Okay, they might be able to offer you advice on some things. But on most things about the way a Christian lives their lives, if they do not have the spirit of God, they cannot tell you how to walk with God. And we wonder who are we getting this wisdom and this information from? Instead, in every situation, in everyday life, 
I want us to grasp this reality where everything causes us to think, I respect God so much, I have to know what he thinks about this. I'm, I'm so in love with God that obedience to him is second nature to me. I implore us to filter the influences in your life because it don't, make, it don't take much filtering to realize who was a bad influence. Because a lot of time we know those people and we just don't have the stomach to stop listening to them. Today, get the stomach. And, and, if, and if there's an offering advice, you could be like, oh, I don't really want to do that. And God disagrees with that. Tell them I said it. They can come find me. Tell them my pastor said not to listen to you. I wish they would come find me. Tell them I, tell them I said it. Right? Tell them John said it. You know what? Better yet, tell them God said it. Look at those people and say, you know what? I would do what you want me to do, but I respect God. And I guarantee you that will be some of the greatest witness in your life when you are steadfast and unmovable and people realize that you aren't just a Sunday morning only Christian, but you hold God so near and so dear that in the back alleys of your life, his voice is the voice that is making the difference to you. We have to hold God in such high regard that we're willing to look foolish, that we're willing to do things that don't make sense because the Bible says what we do here, that the gospel and all of this stuff is foolishness to a dying and perishing world. But God is offering true and unending wisdom if and only if we seek him for it. You see, this wisdom isn't just going to show up in your life by osmosis. It isn't just going to show up in your life because you sit on the good preaching and you sit in good worship and you sit in a good church and you go to a micro church. Oh, no. That wisdom comes when you ask for it. When you invite God into your everyday life. And until then, he might give you a nudge here and there. And until then, he might point you on your way here or there. But he will not be the guiding force unless you ask him to be the guiding force in your life. Right? And so Zach mentioned it earlier. And the Bible talks about like when you ask for the Holy Spirit, it is a gift that is given by God. And he freely gives it to all who ask. And so do you need wisdom for your children? Do you need wisdom in your finances? Do you need wisdom in your business? Do you need wisdom in some tricky family situations that popped up on Thursday? Do you need wisdom on how to navigate all of the realities of life? Is your money funny? Have your children lost their mind? Is your car acting up every time you get paid? Are your bills stacking up? I tell you there is a solution. And it is in God himself. So take your money to Jesus. Take your bills to Jesus. Them, them kids who don't listen, take them ratchet kids to Jesus. Lay them at his feet, and I guarantee you that he will do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask, think, or imagine. What is it that you need wisdom for? Ask God, and he will give you freely there, there is no God in heaven who is sitting there and he's like, oh, no, I don't want you to handle the situation well at all. I want you to get ruined and I want your life to go down the drain and I, I just want you to suffer. That might be the devil, but it ain't God because he says that 
all things work together for the good of them that love him and are the called according to his purpose. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. And these plans are good, not evil, to give you an expected end. When you go to God for help, he helps. Solomon said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. When you ask him for his input, he gives it. But not only do you have to ask for it, you have to do something with it, right? Because there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is getting an, a mental assent of what something is. It's understanding what to do and what not to do. Wisdom is doing what to do and what not to do, right? There's a colloquialism I heard growing up, and it says it like this. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. Right, and so if you are the type who tried new recipes on Thanksgiving, I am praying for you, because if that went poorly, your family is still talking about it, because I'm in a group chat. But anyway, you have to know what something is and what to do with it. The issue that a lot of people have with Christianity today is something we call hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you clearly know what is right and wrong. And you do what is wrong just because. The Bible says, he to him that know what to do and does it not, it is sin. Wisdom is taking what you know God has said and how he feels about a situation and embracing it and acting on it. And this wisdom, like I said, is contrary to the world. How contrary? We live in a very polarized society where people are telling if they don't agree with you, don't have nothing to do with them, they are your enemies, cut them off, only surround yourself with people who look like you and who talk like you and who think like you. And that's really good advice if you don't love Jesus. But if you love Jesus, here's what he says. He says, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. He says, give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for it back. He continues and he says, just as you want others to do for you, do the same to them. But he continues and he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. In a world where all of those things are the antithesis of worldly wisdom, where if somebody slaps you, you slap them back. If somebody takes from you, you don't lend them nothing else ever again. The Bible says, turn the other cheek. And it says, if they take your cloak, give them your shirt. It is asking for you to embrace a level of wisdom that is contrary to everything the world has offered. And it's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because without him, this is impossible. Without him, this is futile. Without him, even the most virtuous and saintly of people that we have seen in history. As a history student, I will tell you, they have not been that virtuous and they have not been that saintly. We just ain't put it in the books for reasons. Right, But those people without the Holy Spirit have the lack of capacity to do it holistically. And what happens is we put on a veneer of self-righteousness when we lack the Holy Spirit. Everything is good on the outside, but inside are dead men's bones. 
the Bible, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. What does that mean? You are a good-looking grave. And we've all seen some good-looking graves. But without the person of the Holy Spirit to come and to bring life to everything in us that can be loving and that can be good and that can be gentle and that can be kind and that can be long-suffering, without the Holy Spirit, it will be futile. You might be able to do it. Y'all some smart people. You might be able to do it for one year. You might be able to go one, I will give you 365 human days to go and live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit. But around day 366, somebody going to step on your toe. And all the vitriol that you have been holding back behind your veneer of self-righteousness will pour out like venom on those people. Because without the Holy Spirit, you can fake it, but you can't make it. And without the Holy Spirit indwelling you and changing you from the inside out, you will not be able to walk in the fear of the Lord. Because it is God who reminds us to fear him. It is God who reminds us of how good and how great and how loving and how wondrous he is. And without him reminding you, you will forget. And I implore you, every day ask him to remind you why you fear him. Why do I respect this God? Why do I take awe in this God? Why am I so enamored with him? And as you do that, I have prepared seven things for you over the course of this week. Um, I've prepared for you seven days of wisdom, right? These will be seven Proverbs I invite you to meditate on over the course of these seven days. They are on the Greenhouse app if you want them. You have the Greenhouse app. Download the app. It is in our resources. As pretty as this in a nice little PDF if you don't trust your handwriting like me because I don't trust mine. But I will read these Proverbs. I might talk a little bit about them, but I want us to understand the wisdom that these convey. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. We are told to rely on ourselves as the best person, as the best resource, but the Bible literally says not to do that. It says, don't rely on your own understanding. Don't rely on what you can contribute to this. Instead, acknowledge God in all of your ways, and he will direct your path. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all to come to him in protection, for protection. Do you find it hard to live this life because you're gripped by fear? Are you worried every day about what could happen next? He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. He is a fortress. He is a strong tower. He is a good and kind and protective father. Or it continues in Proverbs 16, 9, and then it says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Every plan that you are making from now until the end of your Google calendar, I implore you to submit it to God. Submit it to him. Lay it at your feet because he laughs at some of our plans, as the Bible says. But when you commit it to him, he will work in and through it or maybe even around it, but he will determine your steps. Another one, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Pride is one of the prevailing motifs of this generation where we are so proud of our wrongdoing that we do not submit it to God. I implore you, hold this one tight to your heart because if there is a sin that God comes for and he comes for very swiftly, it is pride. 
But it literally says it comes before the fall. Proverbs 15.1, if you got a smart mouth like me. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. In the middle of your disagreement this week, give someone a gentle answer. On social media, when somebody is posting from a viewpoint that you don't agree with, what if you were to, maybe, not, maybe if you are willing to comment, what if you comment a gentle answer in the midst of all of the hate and anger and vitriol around us? Another one, it says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Walk with the wise. What does that mean? Surround yourself by people who have embraced God's wisdom. We have some groups here called microchurches. In those communities are people from all different walks of life and backgrounds who can help usher you into the wisdom of God. If you have not already, plug into a microchurch. Surround yourself with those who are wise and you will be wise. And a second, we're getting to the end of this, but it says here on our last proverb, don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Love wisdom, cherish it. Hold on to it. Hold on to what God has said. So over the course of this week, if you have the PDF, if you wrote them down, if you took a picture, meditate on these. And if you don't get to all seven, that's fine. Take the ones that you really need in this season and hold tight to what God has said for you. And let the wisdom of God change you from the inside out. And secondly, I mentioned earlier that we can't do none of this without the Holy Spirit. And so please pray for the fullness of the Spirit. When I listen, when you are saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But there has to be a connection that comes from what you know and what you do. And the Holy Spirit is the conduit by which these things happen. Jesus says this about praying for the Holy Spirit. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you need something from God? Do you want to walk with the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit? If so, ask. That is it. That is all he says. If you ask he will give it. Ask God to abide with you every single day, not just today, not just in the middle of your tough circumstances, but on your mountaintops. Ask God to walk with you. And as I get ready to close, worship team, you can come up here. It says in James that if you lack wisdom to pray for it, it says, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. The wisdom you seek, the wisdom you desire is wrapped up in God. But James, if that wasn't enough for you, the amplified version puts it this way. It says, but I tell you, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, for I do not go away the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you to be close in fellowship with you. 
You see, Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was so necessary that he was like, I know y'all are really enjoying me being here with you, but the Holy Spirit is better. The comforter is better. And so this third person of the Trinity, Jesus felt so strongly about him being with us that he was willing to go away. Why? Because it is better for him to be with us. And if it is better for him to be with us, it is better for you to open the door of your heart, of your life, of your family for him to invade and take over everything that you have. So what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to, like Zach said, so white-knuckled that you cannot let the wisdom of God permeate it? What situation is so near and dear to your heart that you are afraid to give it over to his wisdom? Is it your finances? I tell you that you can trust him. Do you have some decisions to make? Is it your family? Is it your spouse? You can trust him. But invite his fullness in to that situation. Let God move in that thing. Let him turn it for his good. Let him flip it upside down. I invite you to invite Jesus in to the places that you have locked him out of, to the places that you don't want him to see, the skeletons in our closet, the things that we have hidden from God. I invite you to let him into that light because the gospel is this. He did not want us to walk through this life alone. The most popular verse in all of scripture says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. They said when they were talking of Jesus, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. He wants to be with you. I don't know your background today. I don't know your philosophical feelings on religion today. I don't know how you feel about God, faith, or spirituality today. And I'm not here to change your mind about any of that. But what I'm here to tell you is that if you welcome Jesus in, he will show up. He will turn your mourning to dancing. He can turn your sorrow to joy. And if you are so wrapped up, and thinking that you don't need God. Be real with yourself. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to teach us how to walk right, to teach us how to talk right, to teach us how to live right. And I don't know about you, but I want to walk more like Jesus. I want to talk more like Jesus. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to love more like Jesus. And if that is your desire, I implore you to let him fill you to overflow today. Our prayer partners, you can come forward. And listen, if this is a weird thing to you, if you're like Malik, I went to a church and they talked about the fullness of the spirit and people was on the floor. No, 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 no. I'm talking about encountering God today. Not theatrics, not emotionalism, not, not peer pressure, not any of that. I invite you to encounter God. God today and if you even want a hinkling a little bit more of Jesus make the step come forward to this to this altar let somebody pray with you don't leave here wanting more of Jesus and think you're gonna get it by yourself instead he has called us to be a body that is fitly framed together what that means is I need you and you need me 
What that means is sometimes I'm up here preaching and sometimes I'm down there getting prayer because we work in symbiosis with each other. And so I invite you today, if you even want a little bit of prayer, come forward and let God move. If we could all stand for me for a second. One, I'm asking you to stand so we can worship. But two, I'm asking you to stand so it makes walking out of your aisle easier. If you just want to pray by yourself, come to the front, kneel down, sit down on these front rows. I want us all to seek God together, not just for personal fullness, but what would happen if this church was filled with people who walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you that the gates of hell would continue to tremble. I guarantee you that Davy Florida would be flipped upside down. I guarantee you that the world would be changed because of the God we have residing in us. And so we're going to sing, we're going to worship. And when they start singing or whenever you want, I implore you, come forward. Let's pray. Let's talk to Jesus together and see what his solutions are for the problems that we face. Let's worship the Lord, church. <laughs>